Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. In fourth grade, Shy August was accused of plagiarism because of her large vocabulary. Little did her teacher know that she was already a voracious reader thanks to her grandmother. I doubt they could have anticipated the damage the accusation would do to her confidence and joy around writing either. At age 40, Shy took stock of her life and realized two things. She wanted to give more back to the world, and two, she wanted to honor her unfulfilled childhood dream of writing stories. She traded in her career as an attorney in exchange for writing and publishing for a living. Her company focuses on publishing paranormal romance stories featuring protagonists of color. Well, Shai August, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. And for people who may not know who you are, what would you like to say about yourself? Oh, what is there not to say? Um, so I am a, I am a writer, uh, an author, and a publisher. And I also, you know, play around between what I'd, I'd call genres. So I write um, contemporary romances, but they're heavily paranormal. Mm-hmm. And they're, they read like an epic fantasy. So, mm. um, you know, the first series that I'm working on now that's called the rare now known but like all of my readers call it the bachelor series because it revolves around a bachelor style dating show for shifters <laughs> no kidding no kidding it's was, like bachelor for shifters yeah i was skimming your books and the reviews and i i missed that part that there was a that there was a reality show component to this or mm-hmm yeah, that's so why they're all the ba- the Shifter Bachelor, the Shifter Bachelorette, or Bachelorette in Heat. Um, the last one that came out March 15th was Bachelor in Paradise. Right, and you've been rolling with this series for a while, right? Yes. Yeah, so I, I think you're on to book nine coming up, is that right? Book nine comes out in August. Book one came out Halloween 2018. Nice. Mm-hmm. So you've been kind of on a creative roll. Kind of on a creative role. I have I have my ups and downs. So like, um, but I've I've mostly plotted out the series in my head. So when I get in the doldrums, I just have to go and review what I've already done mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. and what I have planned out, and that helps me get back on track. All right, on. And you know, speaking of being on track or off track, how are you doing right now with your writing process? It's April seventeenth as we record this. It's April 17th as we record this, and I am, I am 
I'm working on three projects. So, mm, <laughs> so nice. I, sw- I switch between each one. Um, it, it's, it's different, you know, trying to write full time and still have a life outside of it. Because when you, when you're trying to do 10,000, 15,000 words a day, it gets kind of hinky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so and you're managing three projects right now. Does it help having three projects to bounce between? It does because it, it forces me to mm. sit my butt in the chair mm. because otherwise I'd just be sitting here and binging Netflix. Cause you know, my, my other love is pop culture. So I love British detective shows, all of them. Uh, I love all of the British detective shows. So like I've literally, if you go type in cerebral British detective shows i've watched everything under that (laughs) category (laughs) what's the latest one uh the last one i finished was actually not on netflix it was on amazon prime and i watched all of dci banks oh Mm -hmm. and so what do you what do you i i assume that like being a storyteller when you watch these shows that maybe you're taking something away from it beyond just the joy of it Oh, yeah. I I just wrote a blog post a couple weeks ago about how I go through each show to pull the things that I need for my writing. So, like, Mm. um, I had to kill a character in my last book, and I couldn't bring up that grief on my own because it's been a while since I lost someone that close to me. So I had to go through and watch the grandmother dying in Moana. Oh, my Uh goodness. Yeah, that will do it. <laughs> and I was a mess afterwards, but I wrote the whole scene in like 15 minutes after I got over my, but I was crying while I wrote it too. So it, yeah. was, it was terrible. So when in, when in need to hit the well, just the well, just go to Disney or Pixar. Is that the trick? Pixar, um, when I was looking to create more conflict between um, my character, yeah. I watched all of Dexter again because who has better conflict than Dexter? He has both the internal conflict with him and his dark passenger plus the external conflict of him versus the police department who are mm. also all of his friends and family and, you know, so who has better conflict than Dexter? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bloody. <laughs> a little bloody, but, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, you know. I, I am a huge fan of a long-form drama, so yeah, I rarely yeah. watch sitcoms. But you put me in front of the TV and all the West Wing and showing, I will not move unless it's for the bathroom or food. <laughs> uh, I wish my body still cooperated to let me sit that long. But, oh, yeah. I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> we just started watching last night um, on Amazon Prime. We tried Carnival Row. And I don't know if you've seen that. It's on my list, actually. Because I was like, ooh, there's a cerebral British detective in (laughs) kind of an alternative setting. It's, and it's paranormal elements. Perhaps. It's 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 on my list. I'm like yeah. I'm gonna watch it. I keep saying it's it's gonna be a reward to watch it for something, but I have to finish something to reward oh, myself with it. Yeah. We just started doing six episode shows. You know, like we watched uh, last week, Queen Sono. I, don't know if you saw that. I watched it, loved it. Um. Yeah. 
That was, that was a fresh show. That was good. Oh, I loved it. It was everything, you know, my black lady heart desired. I was like, oh my God, a black action superhero. That's, I mean, yes. she wasn't a superhero, but she was a spy and she was out kicking butt, taking names, figuring out who the bad guys were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody who had agency was person of color in their yes. home and they weren't being saved by anybody. Oh, thank you for yes. saying it. Yes. <laughs> And they were very, I guess, they put that out there, just in case it wasn't clear. <laughs> just in case it wasn't clear. But yeah, it was it was lovely. I enjoyed it. I cannot wait for the next season. And I hope that Netflix has, Netflix has renewed it already. Yeah, me too. I'm looking for more of that, for sure. And so you are an author of color, in I case am. it wasn't clear. And so how did you come into being an author um so my grandmother was a school teacher so i learned to read early and Mm. reading became my escape i Mm. you know they had to reset the limit at the local library for me because i would take out so many books at Mm. a time and (laughs) devour them in a week um and it was one of the things where you know you read enough you're like you start imagining Mm-hmm. what could happen after and then eventually you become the storyteller yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that seems like a natural progression but that doesn't happen for everybody you know right maybe things come up around creativity at some point i don't know what age that is or circumstances but yeah well one of the things that stopped me from writing for a while was i was accused of plagiarism um (laughs) by a teacher in elementary school now elementary school oh yeah no kidding yeah in elementary school and the thing was i think i used the word (laughs) tawny yes it was tawny oh you used a big word i used a big word now she didn't know me um, yeah. I had just transferred to that school from my little hometown in Louisiana with less than 500 people where everybody knew my name and everybody knew mm-hmm. my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents going back generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in a larger city. So she didn't know. And I guess she didn't even take the time to look and see that I had been in the gifted and talented program, that I was very verbose and that, you know, my grandmother was a school teacher. So she didn't know any of these things about me, but she yeah. just accused me of plagiarism because I used the word tawny and I had perfect quotation marks but that comes from being a reader because you you read and you read and you see how things are set up and I'm one of those type A INTG you know (laughs) challenge the system anagram kind of things Uh persons and so I always pick things apart so, you know, everything I'd read up until the fourth grade, I'd already picked it apart and put it back together in my own little head. So when they were like, you need to write a short story for this contest, I was like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. And so how did that affect you? I stopped writing for the longest amount of time. If I had to write something for school, I wrote the barest minimum because mm. I didn't want to be accused of, of being a cheater. Hmm. It, it, you know, it affected me. If someone had encouraged me, I probably would have been a writer long before I reached my adulthood. Hmm. So when did you come back to it? Uh, I Ninth grade, I had a teacher who gave me my paperback because I was back in gifted and talented. And she was like, you can do better than this. Hmm. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you can do better than this. Um, 
And so she gave me my paperback and made me rewrite it to the best of my ability. I won a short story contest, but uh-huh. I still didn't have the the drive to do it just because, you know, she forced it into me. Right. Um, I picked up writing. I would write in, in spurts. So, you know, mm. I have like unfinished novels I wrote at 19 or at 21. And, but I didn't pick it up and come could go with it until I hit my forties. And I was like, I want to do something with my life. That's not a degree or a kid or, you know, something. What? Why? Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I hit 40. And wait, was, wait, wait, wait. Was your midlife crisis becoming an author? Yeah, kind of. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you hit 40, and that's a, that's a huge milestone. You're like, what sure. have I done with my life? And I started reviewing it, and I was like, oh, I have kids, and they're great, and I have this job, and it's great, and I've got this degree and this degree, and that's great. But what have I done? To give back to the world, besides, you know, make sure the population count stays because I've reproduced myself 1.1, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know. It's hard I, to hit those I, decimals. It's hard to hit those decimals. But, yeah, I don't think my daughter would appreciate being considered a 0.5, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is what so- it is. So, I, I decided, you know. I went back and I reviewed my life. What are all the things that I want to do as a kid that I haven't done? Mm. And I can't become a geisha. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Not here. Not Louisiana. Not here. Not Louisiana. Um, I can't, you know, do some of the other things I want to do. I don't want to be an attorney anymore. Mm. I, I do still want to breed, uh, breed a Kentucky Derby winning horse, but you Mm. know, that's something me and my uncle have to work out. Um, so, Uh, you know the only thing that i had on my list that i hadn't done Mm. or that i didn't want to do anymore was writer and that's Mm. when i started seriously considering being a writer again and so when you made that realization like how did you go about engaging with that did you just start writing or did you start looking for resources nope i met intj so i was like what am I reading Mm. now? What would I want to be a writer? What would I want to be my vehicle for the world? And at the time I was deep into paranormal romances. Mm. Um, I read everything except Westerns. (laughs) So I was like, you know, this is the genre that works best for me. I love romance. Uh, I devour it by the bucket load. So when I'm not writing, I read Mm. about a hundred books a year. So, okay. Um, so that's, that was it. And I was like, well, all the paranormal romances I were reading, I was reading, didn't feature black men as the main character. They would be the sassy friend, of course. They would be, you know, the, the frenemy, they, but they weren't the, the main lead. So that's, that's why I came this way. Yeah. And so what is it about romance and paranormal stories that kind of tilt the table for you? Well, who doesn't love love? You know, who doesn't want to to meet the guy or meet the girl that does everything for them? Mm. You know, that, that feels like the other part of your soul, even though you're a complete and total person by yourself. Who doesn't want to be, you know, romanced? Who doesn't want to be loved in the way that you think you should be loved? Yeah. 
And I noticed that you had mentioned when you're doing your review that you were looking for ways to give more back to the world beyond just, uh, you know, checking the boxes. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm imagining there's some intention and purpose behind your writing. Yes, because, you know, all the writers who've touched me the most have written things that, you know, weren't maybe the best or the mainstream, or but they touched something in me. So mm. I want to give that back. Mm. Mm. And what is that inside you that you got from reading those stories? Oh, uh, well, Octavia, Octavia Butler, the late great Octavia mm-hmm. Butler, she completely blew my mind and made me look at the world in a different way you know there's not many writers who you can read and they change the way you see the world Mm. and she did that for me yeah was there something stood out for you in terms of her stories oh everything her world building her imagination the way she connected modern day events with historical events and then wrapped it all in mythology and then just tossed it at me like here girl take it and i'm like ah mm-hmm. oh yeah everything she she wrote touched something in me everything yeah and i've read i remember reading a, a fair bit of octavia butler when i was a teen and her stories are the characters are real right Oh my God! Aren't they real? Like because they all, because they're sh- because they're they're complicated, right? There's there is a shadow side. It's not like there's heroes and villains, they're complicated. Right? They're flawed. They're you know everything. They're expressive. They're not expressive. They're I mean they just run the gamut. And you're like I can see you as a person. So it felt like you were just talking to someone. You weren't reading a book. You were yeah. just you inhabited the character and you were talking to someone else in the story. I remember being a little challenged by the fact that, you know, in an interesting way that heroes could do really horrible things. Yes. Isn't for, what that, they thought, isn't, for what they thought were the right reasons. Right? Isn't that a, a whole new way to look at a hero? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think that's why she stood out for me at the time. Cause I wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of science fiction and fantasy books, but I feel like, in that realm the first time really got into that Mm -hmm. complexity yeah yeah and i mean you can't you know the hero is the hero they do everything they do to protect Mm -hmm. someone but you never realize the consequences that their actions may have on the back end and it was it was just a revelation for me Right. Same thing with L.A. Banks, same mm-hmm. thing with Ursula K. Le Guin, same mm-hmm. thing with Anne McCaffrey, you know, all of those authors, they shape the way I look at the world. Yeah. I've I've read all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I take that back. I have not read L.A. Banks. Oh, you have to. You have to read The Vampire Huntress Legend. It's a 12-book series. And she also passed away a few years ago, so you're not going to get any more. But it's a love story wrapped up over 12 books. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I took a note. (laughs) I promise. You're going to send me a message and be like, oh, my God, what have I done? (laughs) Yeah. So for some people, right, there's a stigma around romance novels, right? And I don't and, understand that. 
Yeah, say more about that. Because I, I imagine you have these conversations, right, with friends or family and friends, family, other writers. I'm not sure why the stigma is there for romance. You know, there's all of the academic studies saying because it's commercial fiction, because it's women-centered and mostly women-authored. Mm. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all of these things. But I think it is men were, men and men were, men are mostly raised to think of a wife as a possession and not to romance her, you know, or if they do romance her, they romance her and then they don't have to do any work afterwards. Mm -hmm. And women miss that, that new relationship energy, you know, where he's sending here a text all the time. He's doing this. He's sending you presents for no reason and flowers just because. And so you, you can get some of that when you read a romance and maybe that's why. Yeah, so it sounds like you've got a good finger on why it resonates with readers. And I hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing it. So so you're eight, nine books into this series, and so you've probably had quite a bit of opportunity to get feedback from your readers. Yes. And so what is it that your readers are taking away from your stories? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> what do they tell you? Oh, they're they're angry at me about how I treat characters. They're they're like, um, why did you do this? What is she? I actually have a, a reader group. It's called the Rare and the Unknown. It's on Facebook. And anytime I post something, they're like, yeah, that's fine. But when is Imani going to blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I had, Imani's in book one. You know, she's in a good relationship. Can't y'all let her be? And they're like, no, because you did this to her. Or they're like, so the last book I released, uh, the main character, her name was Monday. And they're like, so when is Monday going to? And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, there's still six more books in this series. Can I? Can you just let me go at my own pace? And they're uh-huh. like, no, faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they love the that the my men are all you know the typical stereotypical alpha, aggressive male, assertive male. You know, um, meets a woman and decides, hey, this is the woman for me. They don't wait two, three, seven, twelve years to marry somebody or, you know, however long it's it is in the real world because I condense because romances condense that down. We don't, you know, we don't stretch out the love. We put it in a in a small bubble. Yeah. Say more about that. More about the small bubble. I, yeah. I, yeah, well, romances are a microcosm of a relationship. So, you know, you meet somebody, it's boy meets girl, that's the meet cute. You either make them love each other or you make them hate each other right away. And then you spend the rest of the book or the rest of the series keeping them together or separating them so that you can make them fall in love and miss each other more. Mm. It's, it's the whole dynamic of will he, won't he, will she, won't she, and you you compress it down in a in a timeline. Yeah. And if they love each other right away, then you have to separate them. You have to put enemies and obstacles in their path. If they hate each other, you have to bring them together and show them that they belong together and they deserve each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do your books have a steam level to them? Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, I I run the gamut. So I try to write clean romances, but they never work out that way. And I have uh I I've, I've gone all the way to, you know, the reverse harem one lady three guys in uh-huh. like seven sex scenes in the book. So yeah. Yeah, and uh, did I my mistaking I saw the word alpha in some of the descriptions. Mhm. Yeah, because they're all paranormal shifters. They're yeah. all you know, I write rare and unknown shifters. So yes, there are the traditional werewolves and bear shifters and dragons, but there's also impendulas and war elephants and elephant shifters. And yeah, so I run the gamut. Yeah. So you've got a lot of fun world building in there. Mm-hmm. too. I ask about the alphabet because, you know, I, I shadow the romance world from the time to time. There's a lot of cool authors that I've met and, done some editing for some people there and um one of the things i notice is that it can be hard to work around the censorship and the gatekeepers when you get into the steamy romance especially when the word alpha starts coming up like yeah it's it's not just the alpha it's more of the erotic so when you say you have an erotic romance amazon Mm -hmm. is like oh no we can't do that so because they're they're so uh, afraid of offending people about about you know sex and sex is sex is good and it's healthy and it's fun to do and yeah. why wouldn't <laughs> why wouldn't you want to read about it too I mean but yeah so it's it's one of those things well, where yeah and I'm confused because like you remember you probably read a lot of sci-fi growing up there was plenty of plenty of sex in sci-fi books that the men wrote Mm -hmm. but it's men writing it so it's totally different than women writing it because women write sex different than men if you've ever seen um if you've ever if you've ever seen a sex scene compared side by side with from a man's perspective from from a woman's perspective it's Mm. totally different the woman's perspective is going to be emotional and the man's perspective is going to be mechanical yeah and have you managed to keep your books out of the Amazon dungeon? I have. I have. Um, because I, I, all of my titles are romances. Um, they, you know, I don't have to put erotic in it, but I do, I do lean toward erotic most of the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm a, you know, four or five in some books and a one in, or two in some books on the Steam level. Yeah. Your reader's okay with that? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't get any complaints, you know. They they're not like, "Oh, shy, this book had too much sex." Except for for one reviewer, she called me poorly written filth. So, mm. um <laughs> mm. Yeah, there you go. You hit a button. <laughs> and I was like, "Am I really poorly written filth? Are you just it was just too much for you and you or you liked it and you don't want to admit it?" You know, that's one of those <laughs> things. Did you like it? I bet you liked it. It it, it made you go ding. You finished and got there enough far enough to leave a review, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you read the whole thing. It's not like you said, oh, I didn't finish it because it was poorly written. No, you said yeah. it's poorly written, Phil, which means you got far enough in that you got to all the sex scenes. Yeah, yeah. And so how easy is it to like market and promote your work? Oh, it's not, um, because... A lot of it is because I'm a black woman and I write books that feature 
black women is the lead role, a lot of people won't read them just because there are black women mm. um, in the lead role. Um, a lot of people of color won't read them because they're paranormal. And, you know, there's so many religious connotations that say yeah. these kind of things are terrible. There yeah. are people who are on both sides. They're, they're white and they're Christian and they're not going to read something with, you know, werewolves or witches in it. Yeah. And, you know, you're in Louisiana, kind of in, in the heart of the, the Bible belt. And mm-hmm. yeah. And obviously you don't have that discomfort with the material. No, no. but that comes from also being an early reader and devouring everything. You know, if I finished all the mysteries in the kids section, I had to go move on to the next section. So <laughs> If I wanted something to read, you know, that was that was my thing. And I had a, you know, I had a grandmother who was strict. So I was yeah. only allowed, you know, so many hours of television a week. So reading was really my, my escape, my occupation, my entertainment. It was, yeah. yeah. So it, it wouldn't, it makes sense that, you know, as I got older, it became my vocation and my avocation. Yeah, it does. And when you were reading those early books, did you notice whether or not they featured people of color in those always, lead roles? Always looked for. So uh, you were able uh, to find that as a as a kid? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there were some things, but like, no. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of Black people are always like, <sighs> it's it's depressing because we know so much about white culture, but like white people are always like, Oh, this is new. And they're like, no, we've been doing that for generations. It's because you don't read about us that you Mm -hmm. can't, you know, know how these things have been in our community for generations. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why the whole Columbusing thing is it's so real, you know, you're like, Oh, look at this new place. And you're like, that's not new. We've been doing that for like 120 years. That's not new. It's new to you. Yeah, it's like you know the North American continent and the whole Western Hemisphere was you know new to Columbus because oh I didn't know this was here. Yeah, you didn't know it was there. That doesn't mean it hadn't been there and had its own history, its own culture, its own right. language, its own religion, its own thing. Yeah, and well, Columbus got to have his new relationship energy with. Yeah. with the rest. <laughs> oh, Columbus had a new relationship energy. That is so funny. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you. I needed that laugh. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, <laughs> it's one of my pleasures. <laughs> but um, but um, bum. Um, no bum. <laughs> bum. I, you know, part of why I ask in these things is, so there's these challenges promoting, and yet you're doing it, and you're forging ahead, and you are building an audience. And mm-hmm. it's 2020, so there must be readers out there for you. There are readers out there for me. It's I have to find them, and I have to look for the girls who were like me, who devoured any book that they could find as a kid, even if it mm-hmm. was you know science fiction, even if it was fantasy, even if it was you know mystery or romance. I had to you know I have to find my tribe. And there, yeah. there's a Twitter account and a website called Black Girl Nerds. Those are my mm. people. Um, <laughs> That is my community. You know, those are the girls, the black girls who who cosplay, who watch anime, who love paranormal. And, you know, because they're because we know 
that yeah. there was always been, you know, one black girl to represent us all in all of these genres. So, you know, I just have to go out and get them to come to me. And it's it's slow going, but I'm going to get there eventually. Yeah. And are you able to like leverage like Facebook ads and those kinds of things? Or? I have not attempted Facebook ads mm-hmm. yet. I'm afraid. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm always deathly afraid to run advertisement because I you know they I, will spend your money, but they will spend my money, and I feel like it's it's one of those things because I am an INTJ mm-hmm. personality. I want to see the ROI yeah. before uh, you know I I attempt it. Yeah, well, if you do the math, I I bet it works out in your favor. You I know, I'm it. I'm launching a box set. I launched a box set this week and Congratulations. I've been, thank you. And I've been tinkering with Facebook ads on and off, you know, with that cautious mindset. Right. And I stop things, you know, pretty quickly. A lot of the times, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the ads are break even at best, but right now all the corporate advertising money is out. Right. And so the, like I'm getting 10 cents cost per click right now. Oh, yeah, and so I'm, you know, even if it takes twenty clicks to get a sale right now, I'm very much a profitable space. So nice. Yeah. So okay, so you convinced me. I'll try. There's space for you there. <laughs> there is space for me. There's space for me. There's space for the other writers who work with me. So we're gonna get there. Yeah, you got eight or nine books. Yeah. Yeah, and so what? Right now in 2020 in April, what what's the most joyful part of the writing process and what's the hardest part? Oh, the hardest part is getting my butt to stay in the seat and just pound out the words. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I There's so many things I could be doing and I, I try to do them all the time. So like I... And you know it's a it's part procrastination. I'm like, oh, but look, I found a new British detective show to watch, and I'm, <laughs> or I could be, you know, mm. and and my other food, my other porn is is food. So there's a mm. Master Chef or Top Chef or Great British Bake Off or you know, so why 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 would I go right when I could be watching? Yeah. and my greatest joy is actually my readers they give me so much Mm. so much feedback and appreciation that i i truly love them yeah that does make it easier doesn't it Mm -hmm. so when i feel guilty about not writing it's probably because one of them is like hey um what's gonna happen with this character they slide in my dms all the time i and <laughs> like hey listen i know you're working but like is this character gonna get their own story is this character gonna get their own story and i'm like yeah eventually i'm gonna write everybody's story just so y'all will leave me alone but it's gonna take me the rest of my life mm. and so maybe one thing we haven't talked about so much is community and how much is community a part of your like writing like profession and and that keeping you going as far as maybe peers and mentors and role models and all that well i i'm I'm modeling my 
the way I built my world on the author T.S. Joyce. She is mm. also a very prolific paranormal romance author. And she has, I want to say, 80 books in the same world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and wow. I'm trying to, I'm trying, that's why when I started uh, plotting out my world, I made my world expansive enough that I could, you know, hey, if I'm writing about, you know, you know, shifters on a reality dating show now, I can write about shifters on a cooking show later or on a, you know, some kind of other reality show or, you know, detective shows. <laughs> I'm so addicted. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she, I modeled the way I laid out my world so that I can do something similar to what she's done. Mm. Um, I, I have several author friends who I we message each other daily you know hey can you read this last 400 words I just wrote can you tell me how this sounds is this funny because I think I am hilarious Mm -hmm. other people do not (laughs) yeah I tell so many jokes that fall flat and then I have to be like okay is it because my sense of humor is warped uh-huh. Or is it because the joke is just not funny? Yeah. <laughs> Feedback's a tricky beast, right? Because mm-hmm. you can get people telling you exactly what they would do and what works for them and their sensibilities and mm-hmm. may or may not be your audience. They may or not be my audience. I've, I've worked really hard to curate the people who I reach out to. Mm. Um, so that, you know, there's one who, who thinks the way I do. There's one who doesn't think the way that I do. So if mm-hmm. I can make her laugh, then I know I've done well because she, her sense of humor is quite the opposite of mine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I ran into that when I started asking for like other authors, like for maybe like review blurbs on stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember one getting back to me. He's like, so... <laughs> Uh-oh. When it starts with so, that's like, oh, no. <laughs> it was more emotionally so. Like, they were very gentle about it, but they were like, this goes places I don't feel comfortable with, personally. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, you sure you want me to review your book? <laughs> oh. Yeah, there is a couple people I'm, I'm a member of, uh, uh, I'm a member of one shut up and write group. And then I have one mm. that I host mm-hmm. um, uh, on the alternate weeks. And there are people in my regular shut up and write group that I go to who they're always like, Oh, that's so great. But I know they would never read my stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then yeah. there are people who come to my shut up and write group who are like, can I read whatever you wrote? And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> So it's it's that it's that whole thing, you know, who's gonna read it, who's your audience, who's not your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you don't get there quickly in terms of being able to discern that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess do you have like people who are helping bring you along and are you helping maybe mentor others? It sounds like you're definitely involved and, and collaborative. It's- it's a symbiotic relationship right now. Most of the people who I reach out to have way more writing experience than I do, mm-hmm. even if they don't have more books out than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I was lucky when I lived in Dallas, my critique group, my 
you know, biweekly critique group was made up of English professors at one of the local community college. So it was like, oh, they, you know, they, you know, they're like, oh, this is great. This is not great. And they were all writers as well. So it was, it was one of those things where there are people who I, I have in my writing community who are, you know, great writers, but they might not have books out yet. And Mm -hmm. they might be going the traditional publication route. So like when I, you know, they tried to double dog dare me into querying and I did. And I got one response back out of 20. And it was a woman who was like, hey, this is a great idea, but can you make the characters white? Oh no, really? That was your one response. (laughs) That was my one response. And I was like, oh. Like possibly the worst possible response you could get. Yeah. And that, that was what made me stay on the steady course of self-publishing or being an indie publisher because you know what's the adage you um genius is hitting a target nobody can see i know i know i have people Mm. because of the black nerd group and because there are are women who are like me who are you know the fans of yahura or from star trek or you know the the girls who are always you know picturing themselves as that single black woman on whatever show it was, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it was true blood or Mm -hmm. whatever. And so I know there, there are more people like me out there. I just have to find them. And that's what made me stay, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to publish them myself. Yeah. And have you thought about publishing other people? I do publish other people. Uh Mm -hmm. So so tell me, talk to me more about that. Like why you got started with that and what, how that process goes for you as far as what's easy or hard about that. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, What's easy about it is there, they write and all I have to do is read it (laughs) and give feedback. That's amazing. (laughs) So I don't have to keep my butt in the chair and force the words out myself. It's, it's the Mm -hmm. best thing ever. Um, But it's also, you know, we have to be just as diligent about the craft, about the world building, about Mm -hmm. how we perceive ourselves in the books and the stories we tell Mm. um, as well. And then it's also, you know, the hard thing about it is, you know, it's another person that I have to worry about the marketing and the advertising and the booking on podcasts and, you know, all of that good stuff as well. So it's double the work. Yeah. Or yeah. triple so, the work. You know. So why do you do it? What's your kind of purpose behind it? Um, because our stories need to be shared. You know, yeah. if, if somebody likes me, then they're mm-hmm. probably going to like the other writers who I work with. And that's just, you know, that's a creating a, a quality and a quantity at the same time. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. Um, I have a, family friend who's a, a green urban planner and i remember that sounds like the best job ever <laughs> yeah well they're 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 like as passionate about it as like we are about writing and they've been doing it a long time and it's mm-hmm. one of those things mm-hmm. where they had to search and search and search for a long time for the audience that they knew was out there Mm-hmm. And so now they're getting, you know, they've got, they're getting got it. that. They're, they got it. I completely yeah. understand. I used to be in emergency management. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's hard to reach out and find an audience for of people who, who are passionate about mitigation. They're like, what is mitigation? You know, are you going to sue me? That is 
every, <laughs> every time I've said I'm a mitigation officer before, they're like, are you going to sue me? I'm like, no, mitigation is the prevention. It's, you know, working yeah. to make things better, stronger now, and to help you recover from a disaster as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Huh? I've got some interesting friends in that world too. Well, so mm-hmm. fun. But what I was going to say about the urban planner, I learned that like for for an area like a block in a city, like say in a green city to become economically viable, say in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. that you need a minimum of like 100 businesses in that space before it's viable. And wow. That, I think about that in terms of what you're doing with building as a publisher and getting more voices out there. You're kind of building, helping build up to that viability point for your niche. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, I think that's a, that's a, a good thing to, to see because um, I looked at it from, you know, I, MBA perspective, that's building verticality in my business because I already have, you know, the typesetters, the cover designers, the editors, all the people that I work with. Mm. So it doesn't hurt me to funnel more things to them because, you know, it's a it's a bulk discount kind of thing. Too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. hey, you got more stuff coming? Okay, good. Let me let me knock this down 10 percent or 15 percent. Right. Right. And they do that across all of my work as well. So. Yeah, and so they're winning, you're winning. and They're winning, I'm winning, my authors are winning, everybody's yeah. winning. And you're building an audience. That's, and we're building an audience, yeah. Yeah, and so, so you've got all these skills from your past, from your past <laughs> lives, and it sounds like there have been a few. There have been a few, I, I, I get around. <laughs> um, Wendy Williams does this thing on her show where she pretends to smoke a cigarette and said, I have lived, and I... I <laughs> If I was a cat, I'm on my seventh life, you know. Yeah. Are there bits and pieces of those past lives that you miss? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the prestige of having, you know, being a government official. There's there's the the the, the money, you know, there's mm, <laughs> the mm. salary, there's there's so many things that I miss about other lives, but like eventually I will make this life into that as well. So eventually, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be publishing enough books that I'll match the salary that I had before. Eventually mm-hmm. I will um, have the prestige and the gravitas under my pen name that I have with my actual name, you know, or. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I guess that begs the question, what is success for you? Success for me is, for this life, for this way I'm living now, is getting out quality content and telling a story, whether it's a romance or a paranormal mystery or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever genre we leap off into next. It's about telling stories that resonate with people. Mm-hmm. and hopefully still being able to make a solid living on it. Yeah, because because you can keep doing it more, I assume, but maybe there's more to it there. Yeah, yeah I mean, we all want we all want things. We all, <laughs> you know, yeah, I want to pay off my car. I want to do this, you know. So it's one of those things where what is success to you and success to me is – having a rabid fan base who loves what I put out. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so for people who want to learn more about you, how can they do so? Oh, I am shy August everywhere. S H A I August like the month. Mm-hmm. And I'm on I have a website, it's shyaugust.com. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Pinterest, I'm on Instagram, all of those places. If you just type in Shy August, I come up. Shy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It has been a great a great morning talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.